You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Let's read chapter 12, verses 14 through the end of the chapter. 2 Corinthians, and I got it right this time, 2 Corinthians, finally, 12, 14 through the, I think it's 21, yeah, 21. Here, for this third time, Paul says, I am ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden to you, for I do not seek what is yours, but you. For children are not responsible to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. And I will most gladly spend and be expended for your souls. If I love you the more, am I to be loved the less? But be that as it may, I did not burden you myself. Nevertheless, crafty fellow that I am, I took you in by deceit. Certainly I have not taken advantage of you through any of those whom I have sent to you, have I? I urged Titus to go and sent the brother with him. Titus did not take any advantage of you, did he? Did we not conduct ourselves in the same spirit and walk in the same steps? All this time you have been thinking that we are defending ourselves to you. Actually, it is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding, beloved. For I am afraid that perhaps when I come, I may find you to be not what I wish and may be found by you to be not what you wish. That perhaps there may be strife, jealousy, angry tempers, disputes, slanders, gossip, arrogance, disturbances. I am afraid that when I come again, My God may humiliate me before you, and I may mourn over many of those who have sinned in the past and not repented of the impurity, immorality, and sensuality which they have practiced. Wow, what a way to end this bit. So as we've progressed through this chapter, we've seen Paul remind the Corinthians how boasting is bad, but if necessary, he did it. We've seen him take take on the accusation that he was in it for the money, that Titus was in it for the money, that all the others that were associated him with him were in it for the money. And and you know the the funny thing is is I was talking with my wife this morning about sometimes when other people assume things about us. If there's a lifestyle of godliness and following the Lord. You know, we, we should start out with giving each other the benefit of the doubt. We should start that way. But don't do third-hand stuff. Go to the person. And so I'm not sure that anybody did go to Paul. He's getting all this second, third, fourth, fifth-hand. Have you ever played the game of telephone? I do, You know, it's funny. It was only just a few years back that I discovered that that was the name of the game. I had always called it Tyrannosaurus Rex. Because the only time I ever played it as a child, that was the first word that was used. And I thought that was the name of the game. That's what kids do. They, they think dumb things. But by the time that word got to the other end of the, the party, I don't remember what it was, but it wasn't about a dinosaur. And uh, I don't know how much of that went on, but I know that it does go on because that's human nature. We tend to like the negative more than the positive. We tend to... Um, what do they say about news? No, well, no news is good news. They do, they do say that. But it's like if it bleeds, it leads. 
you know, stuff like that. I mean, that's just so macabre, but that's what it is. And so people were, who knows how a story gets started, but it begins to take on a life of its own, no matter where it's at, even in the body of Christ, it can take on a life of its own. And that's why we need to go to one another. And these, apparently this wasn't happening in Corinth in a proper way. He says in verse 17, I've not taken advantage of you though through any of those I have sent to you. Actually, before that, in 16, I didn't burden you. Nevertheless, crafty fellow that I am, I took you in by deceit. Remember, we talked about that. He took them in by deceit by not making them pay for him to minister to them. He didn't give them a bill. And they were upset about that. And he didn't take advantage of them through Titus and the others that were sent by him to minister to the Corinthian church. He urged... Titus and Timothy to go, or Titus, excuse me. And he says in verse 18, Titus didn't take advantage of you, did he? Didn't we conduct ourselves in the same spirit and walk in the same steps? This is what we talked about last time. He's telling, he's he's setting them up right now. What is going on in Corinth is what goes on in most, most bodies of Christ because bodies of Christ are inhabited by people. I know someone who said, you know, this planet would be a good Pretty nice place if it wasn't for the people. That's kind of extreme. And they were not willing to start with themselves, no. <laughs> so it was hypocrisy at best. But so going on in the Corinthian church was what is typical in most believers, bodies of believers. There were penitent and impenitent. And at any given time, that's true of any body of Christ. And if we think it's not, that, not true of us, we're fooling ourselves this is the most wonderful body of Christ I've ever been in, but we all put our pants on and dresses on one leg at a time, don't we? And, and we all know how to sin just fine. We never had to take sinning, 101. Evil, 102. Lying, 103, you know, or any of that. It's, it's, it's natural in us. As God is working it out of us, we are grateful. And so then Paul reminds the Corinthians, he said, you thought we were defending ourselves. No, all of this has been about building you up. And part of building someone up is is helping them get, in by God's grace, removing what is holding them back in their lives, as well as building up what needs to be given to them to forge ahead in their lives. He said it was for their upbuilding, beloved. He reminds them that they are beloved. And so that's where we ended up in verse 19 last week. And that's kind of a, if you look at it as a preliminary, because he's about to, t- he's about to list a catalog of apparently what was still going on among the impenitent in Corinth. And these are not, this is not stealing someone's Nerf ball and then giving it back an hour later. This is, of course, they didn't have Nerf balls in first century Greece, but, but that's, or for, yeah, first century Greece, but that's different. So Paul is concerned about what's going to happen when he comes this third time. Remember, he wrote the, the difficult letter and got the, and got the news from Titus that some people had repented and there was good news, really good news that the church was, was on the move forward. So he says in verse 27, and that's where, or excuse me, verse 20, and there's no 27 in this chapter. That's like Proverbs chapter 32. He says in verse 20, starting out this morning, he says, for I am afraid that perhaps when I come, I may find you to be not what I wish and may be found by you to be not what you wish, that perhaps there will be strife, jealousy, angry tempers, disputes, slanders, gossip, arrogance, disturbances. Now, that's quite a list. 
and it's quite a disconcerting list to have to be he's going to he's afraid he's going to find Corinth to be not what he was hoping because of those things and he's afraid that they're going to find him not to be what they thought he would be because he's going to have to deal with those things it would have been nice he was he would love to come to Corinth and just settle into fellowship there and break bread with them and have a wonderful time but it was not to be so in his preparation to visit the Corinthian church again Paul has a few concerns he does not want to find them full of the difficulties that have characterized that church they should be applying the biblical principles that he and others have been teaching them and and they should be doing that if they would be doing that these difficulties would subside they would move along in their identif- in their sanctification so you want to Advance it to 248. So this is how we're going to do it this morning because I forgot my clicker. (laughs) They would move along in their sanctification. Born again, Bible believers. No, No question that there was many of those in that church. But sometimes we get stuck in our sanctification. And some of them, that's what was happening. Some of them were just not dealing with things. So his concern when he arrived in Corinth for the third time would be that he would find a lack of repentance in some of the congregation for the sins they were committing. Remember that earlier in this epistle, he commended them for many in the church actually, actually repenting. Go to the next, next slide. But God who comforts us, but God who comforts the depressed, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted in you, as he reported to us your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. For though I caused you some sorrow by my letter, remember the, the, the letter we don't have, the um, severe letter. Though I caused you some sorrow, sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I see that that letter caused you sorrow, though only for a while. Now I, I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. Big difference. And you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret. Let me stop there. When, when God brings sorrow into your life that causes repentance, you never regret that repentance. You never say, you know, actually, I'd like to go back to that vomit and, and eat it again. You don't. You're sorry. That is one of the evidences of a a Christian, that their sin makes them ill. They don't like it. They see it in themselves. They reject it. And even a besetting sin, they want it gone. Depends on what kind of steps you take to get it gone. But nevertheless, they were sorrowful to the point of repentance. And he says it produces a repentance without regret. Moving on in that verse. Leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. There's no hope in the sorrow of the world. No hope. You're just evil. Deal with it. You can't deal with it. Verse 11. For behold what earnestness this very thing, this godly sorrow has produced in you, what vindication of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what avenging of wrong, and everything you demonstrated yourselves to be innocent in the matter. So the sorrow that many of them experienced in Corinth was a sorrow that produced amazing results especially in first century. I mean, I can imagine people in the community just amazed at how old, I don't know any Greek names, so I won't spit them out, but old Joe turned out 
What is different about him? I don't even like to be around him anymore. He doesn't do the things he used to do. You know, that, that's, a, that's an evidence of, of godly sorrow. Repentance means a turning away, a turning away and, an, and doing something different. So the Greek word here, though, translated afraid, is not some idea, next, next slide, not some idea of worry. It is the word that means an intense, deep-seated anxiety. It's, it's from this that we get the, this Greek word that we get the English word phobia. Um, are you really glad that f- spiders can't fly? And cows too, but that's, no, that's another reason, a different reason for that. <laughs> Paul <clears throat> was deeply concerned about what he might find when he got to Corinth. <clears throat> and so he gave us a list of things that apparently were going on in Corinth. These are the things that he was deeply concerned about. He was afraid if he got there, this is what he might find. So from that, we can infer that he was implying that among the unrepentant, this is what was going on in Corinth. These are, these, are, these are not just minor. Well, there is no such thing as a minor sin, so I should disabuse us all of that. Sin is sin. But there are some sins that have far worse effects on us. Um, it's, well, I don't need to go into that. This is a, a well-taught crowd, and you know that. Um, here we have a list of the things that were apparently going on in Corinth and he was concerned about. These are serious sins. Strife. Next, uh, next slide. Strife. This is... It's characteristic of unbelievers, but in the Christian church, these things ought not to be. It is the contention and conflict that results from deep animosities and dissension. It is one of the deeds of the flesh, and it is characteristic of selfishness. It is actually characterized by an affection for dispute. Someone who likes to not get along, who likes to poke and push and prod and and, and just be... Just evil in that way. This is characteristic of people who like confrontation and dissension. So this was going on in the Corinthian church among the unrepentant and among unbelievers that were there. And uh, unfortunately, once that gets started, um, it takes some serious people with serious intentions to follow Christ to get it stopped. So strife, contention, wrangling, uh, and it, it's, it's a readiness to quarrel. Well, you think that, huh? How about this? It's someone who isn't the kind of person that wants to dispassionately discuss things. They want to debate and they want to knock you down. And that's what was going on. Next next slides. Jealousy. Jealousy is a, is a result of self-centeredness. And it's actually a person who's suspicious of others and looks at them as potential rivals. By God's grace, the, the leadership in this church, we, we look at each other as are betters. Um, when I grow up, I want to be just like the other three. <laughs> and I really do. I mean, I, I listen to their teaching. I go, wow, why, why am I even up here? Well, they got to fill a gap. They get tired, you know. So, and, and that's what is characteristic of believers. Not that I'm lifting myself up, but this is, it's not characteristic of looking at each other as potential rivals of believers and as potential rivals, excuse me, as believers of believers. Let me re-say that. It is not characteristic of believers that they look at each other as potential rivals. We're looking to see if we can't serve the other person. What do they need? How can I help them? What, what's, uh, what's going on in their lives? And so consequently, you, you have, uh, we should actually have a, a healthy, godly competition at taking care of one another rather than tearing each other down. This is what jealousy does. 
It's a, it's a nasty, nasty sin. Next, next slide. Angry tempers translates the Greek word from which we get the word rage. It's the explosive, vituperative anger that harms others and destroys relationship. The bad thing, well, I can't say anything good about rage. Um, it's the kind of anger that explodes and the lava gets on people who aren't even involved. It's just awful. And it, it's Peter. Yeah, it's, it's, it's actually been with us forever. Back in my day, it was raging against the machine, you know, raging against the man. The man's holding you down. No, I'm just too dumb to get a better job. You know, that was all it was. But so, yeah, but today it's, 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 uh, it's elevated and it's a sad thing when we elevate something so destructive. There are no redeeming virtues of rage. God has a certain type of anger that is a good thing. It's a productive thing. We must be very careful because guess what we aren't? What aren't we? We're not God. We're people. And our anger can easily, easily get out of control. And I think that's what was going on, some of the, what was going on in, in Corinth. Angry tempers. Actually, the word uh, thumos, yeah, breathing hard, indignation, um, it's an explosion. It's just an explosion. All of us have been around people like that. Do you like to be around people like that? I was like that. I was decades ago, and God has removed it, thankfully. I mean, it was, it's awful. When I think back, why didn't those people just kill me and be done with it? You know, that's what you do with an angry, with a rabid dog. You kill it. So next is disputes. You want to go to the next? Next is disputes. This is a result of divisiveness and partisanship. Shouldn't be any partisanship in the church. I'm not of Apollos, and you're of Paul, and you're of Peter, and you're of Jesus. We're all of Jesus, all of us, and all of us are obligated to one another. That kind of thing prompted Paul to deal early on in the Corinthian chose with those who, in the Corinthian church with those who chose Apollos and Peter and others. Those who split off behind Peter and said they were followers of Paul, it produces factions and division. And if there's somebody in church, in a, in a body of Christ, in leadership, and all of a sudden they realize that people are splitting off behind them, if they're a godly person, they're going to stop that. They're going to put a stop to that right now. That is not, that should not be a feather in your cap that people think you're cool that way. It should be a record, you should recognize that this is a divisive thing. And what have I, the first thing you should do is search your soul. What have I done to cause this? Is there something I've done that would cause people to split off behind me? So who do you go to the others? Go to, your, go to those who you get counsel from and find out. Don't let this happen. Don't let disputes. And, and again, I'm talking about Corinth, not about Kootenai. I don't see that here. Um, but it was producing factions and division, and it was bad. Um, yes? Oh, I've seen it happen. I've been in churches where one person who was in a position of responsibility kind of thought a little bit different than everybody else, only it wasn't a little bit. It was actually underlined, underlain by some deep, deep misunderstanding of Scripture. And a group of people started following them. And it created a faction, a little clique in the church. Well, you guys are smart, but we know better than you. That's what it'll produce. It'll produce nothing good. 
We don't, we submit to one another. Now, if bad teaching is going on, it needs to be dealt with. It needs to be dealt with summarily. It needs to, and don't, don't hide your head and say, maybe they'll quit doing it. No, they won't. No, they won't. And it'll get worse and worse and until there are multiple factions in the church. And it sounds like that might have been what was going on in Corinth. Did I have a, the question was, what did that look like? And so that's what it looked like. I think that was kind of your question. I got to talking and forgot your actual question because I, <laughs> Was there another question? I thought I saw a hand start to go up. Okay. So, next next slide. Evil speaking. Backbiting. Evil reports. This is open, public vilification. You know that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to pick one of you in here and do this because I'll only try and pick one of you in and do something if it's nice. But this is where you... You publicly say something about somebody else that is either untrue or you just, it's, you shouldn't be saying it. You should have dealt with it with them. Um, and sometimes they do something wrong. Don't air it in the public square. Go to them. Go to them. Love them. Work on setting it straight. This is a public, it's slander. It's where we get the word slander. It's, it's the idea of, of uh, detraction, uh, railing, um, trying to cut someone else down and let other people know just how bad they are. Not a good thing. It's not to be... Ki- if if it's a, a believer, and since I'm on camera, I can do that now. I don't have to say air quotes. If a believer is doing that, I would question their salvation. Now, I don't know their heart, but this is just not characteristic of blood-bought believers. Backbiting, insults, evil reports... The next one, and this is one of the most, to my way of thinking, next, next slide, one of the worst things is called, is gossip. Gossip, one, and I think I've told this story before, uh, a woman was, had come to a counselor for relief from her, her internal pain, and she was a known gossip, and the, the counselor knew that, and he, I, I don't know if this is a true story, I haven't been able to verify that, but it's a, it's a good, uh, uh, an anal- analogy of what happens. He took her to the top of the lo- a local mountain, a local hill with a feather pillow in a windstorm. And he said, now cut the pillow open. So she cut the pillow open and he said, now fling it over your head. And the feathers went everywhere. He said, now I want you to gather every feather. So that's what gossip is like. You fling that stuff to the wind and it goes everywhere. Um, it's the quiet, behind-the-back defamation of someone as you're trying to destroy their reputation. There isn't a good reason for gossip, ever. Go to the person, keep it to yourself, and sort it out. If you have ought against your brother, leave your gift at the altar and go and make it right. I think that's in, I don't remember which chapter of Luke, but it's in the early chapters of Luke. <laughs> I should have looked that up for you. There's your assignment for the week. It's, a, it's the idea of a whisper. And it's actually almost an onomatopoeic word. It's a whisper. A whispering campaign behind somebody's back to bring them down, to bring them down to what, where you think they ought to be. It's a secret detraction. But it never remains secret. It gets out and it hurts and it detracts. Any questions or comments about any of these? Yes, Nathal. So... For example, and I'm not going to minimize stealing, but someone out here in the parking lot steals 
you've got 10 bucks. This actually happened to my wife recently. Her lock quit working on her door, and they were in Missoula. And I always try to get her to keep cat change in her, in her, I'm weird, I know, but change in her ashtray. So that if you get someplace and you're, you're a buck short or something, you got a buck. They stole it. I think there was $8 in there. Well, that was a sin, and it was bad. And I'd like to find that person. <laughs> I don't know what I'd do. Yeah, eight bucks. It's like the guy who wanted me to shoot someone for shoplifting some underwear. I said, over underwear? You've got to be kidding me. <sighs> so, but that doesn't have any kind of effect like backbiting and spreading secret stories behind someone's back to destroy them. And, and yes, you're right. Some sins have far worse um, consequences, especially temporal consequences. All of them separate us from God. All of them. Every single one of them. Yes. Matthew. So don't pay attention to me. It wasn't even Luke. Luke doesn't know anything, does he? <laughs> Matthew 5.24. So the only thing I had right was it was in the Bible. <laughs> and it was early in whatever book it was in. Oh, I should have looked it up. Don't gossip. So some of this was going on in the Corinthian church, and I think it was probably what spread this, this insidious idea that he was in it for the money, that he was doing the collection for Jerusalem, for the saints in Jerusalem. Remember we talked about that, especially in chapters 8 and 9, where he was, he was urging the Corinthians to pick back up that collection you started a year ago. You guys were actually the first, and everybody else got the bug from you to help out the saints in Jerusalem. Pick that back up, make it happen, Titus will be there to collect it. And so the people probably, someone probably went, who knows what he's... But all it takes is to say to one of your buddies, he probably wants some of that money for himself. And then your buddy says, well, yeah, as a matter of fact, the last time he was here, he wouldn't even... He didn't talk to me. And so anybody who doesn't talk to me must be a thief. So then he tells the next person, and pretty soon it's a whispering campaign against Paul and against Titus and against all the people that were doing good things for that church. That's what gossip does. It's evil. It's wicked. Next, next slide. Arrogance. This is, if you ever are prompted by God to pray for me, this is an area that I can be prayed for. I'm an arrogant jerk most of the time. I need prayer there. Sometimes I think I'm worth more than I am. I'm just dust. Arrogance is where all of these things come from. The holier-than-thou attitude of superiority. One who is unapproachable and, un- and convinced that they are God's gift to the world. It's, it comes from a Greek word that means to be swollen up. You know the old story, can't get his head through the door? That's where it comes from. That's, we got it right from the Greeks. His head is so big, he can't get through the door. Oh yeah, I've just got hinge marks on each side and, you know. So it's, it's like an air bellow. It's, it's like, if, if it wasn't for me, I remember years ago, one of the times my boss, the, the guy who owns Army Surplus, he's, he's, He's a Christian, but he's kind of, I think you know him, don't you, Jim? You know, not really well. He's kind of caustic, but he's a good man. I, I don't mean that in an unkind way. He's just, what, that's, what's a better word? He's, uh, he cuts through stuff. He's right to the point. And I remember one time I was, I was waxing eloquent, I thought. And he goes, you know, Razor, the Holy Spirit did just fine before you came along. <laughs> and I remember thinking, He did? How is that? No, I didn't. I, actually, at one point, I finally got it. Oh, okay. Hmm, that's a good point. So, next word, before we get too carried away here. Disturbances. 
This is the destabilization and disorder that comes from all of these other interactions in the body of Christ. It is confusing, hurtful, damaging, and ultimately a misrepresentation of what the body of Christ be doing. If you know that there's different teaching coming from different elders, if you know that there's different opinions, not that we all aren't able to have our own opinions and stand on our own two feet, that's not what I'm talking about, but Scripture tells the truth, and if we all have a different opinion about what that truth is, that causes, that causes unrest and discontent in the body of Christ. Well, who do I, who do I go to? What do I do? How do I know it's true? Well, first of all, you're supposed to be Bereans. You're supposed to be studying the Word of God yourself because none of us up here has a, has a corner on the Holy Spirit ever. But God wants, He wants unity around His Word and around the Lord Jesus Christ. Not unity that compromises, but unity that brings together around Christ. So this is a, ah, Ah, katastasia. Ah in Greek means against or undoing or anti. <laughs> it's instability. It's upheaval, almost anarchy. So there was apparently a part of the Corinthian church that was struggling so much that they couldn't, there was some anarchy going on in there. And the kind of anarchy that would allow them to tolerate someone living with his father's wife. That takes some serious anarchy in the body of Christ. Um, I, you know, well, as Peter has pointed out, a lot of things are celebrated today, and I didn't think he could get this dark. And some of my more knowledgeable Christian friends have told me, "Baby, you ain't seen nothing yet. Whatever's talked about in the book, it's the books of Timothy, it's going to get really dark. But the Lord is the light, and I'm not worried about it as much as I used to be. I'm not worried about it at all. I know He writes the last chapter." These sins in the three more listed in verse 21 were a plague on this church. Indeed, they are a plague on any body of Christ, anywhere. Paul was concerned that when he showed up back in Corinth the third time, there would still be some exhibiting these bad traits, these sinful traits. He didn't want to see that happen. He taught them. Others had come in and taught them. He had bent over backwards. He'd sent them. They had the scriptures. They should have known better. Now, that's not to say there weren't plenty in the church that he praised back in in the earlier chapters, because they were coming around. They were celebrating the the body of Christ. They were celebrating one another, serving one another, coming together. So any other comments about verse 20 before we move to the last verse? And I think we're going to make it. Bethel. You want me to repeat all of that, Peter? (laughs) Here it is. Women are jerks. How's that? Did I I get it? let Let me respond to that. Yes, yes, and yes. But the leadership in the church, if they let that happen, they are worse. But that doesn't mean that you stomp and you plow and you smack and you... That means you lovingly come alongside and bring the scriptures and the word of God. And if there's no repentance, then maybe something else has to be... Beyond that has to be done. But these things, if they're, uh, many of these, if they're nipped in the bud, if you will, they don't flower. And what's happened in the modern body of Christ where we have what you're talking about, this emotional leading of the, of the church, has, is because the leadership in particular bodies of Christ have not seen fit to stop that before it got a full run. And so now it's, it's like any virus, it spreads. It spreads and spreads. And uh, any other comments about that? Yes. Yeah. Matthew chapter 18, before you get to the discipline, Galatians chapter 6, 
if a, friend, if a believer is caught in a sin, and that's the, that's the, the Greek word in chapter 6, I believe it's verse 4, is a tripping up. Go to them, you that are spiritual, but be careful yourselves because you can be, you can, I'm, I'm, you know, I should just go to Galatians and not mess up what God said perfectly. It's, I'm going to get it here. I'm not going to do what I did with Luke. Poor Luke. He just got blamed for something. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. There we go. Galatians chapter 6. Um, verse 1. <laughs> Brethren, even if a man is caught in any trespass, caught, and the word there means to be tripped up, to be grabbed, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. King James says meekness. Each one looking to yourself, lest you be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. So when we see that happening, don't let it get to third and fourth hand. Go to the person. Look at verse 4, she said. And I already closed Galatians. That means that you're going to wait for me to find it again. Verse 4. But each... (laughs) Good. Good on you, Nafel. But let each one examine his own work, for then he will have a reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. Examine yourselves. Be certain that you don't get caught in the temptation to put this person down, to rein him in. No. No. To expose them to the word of God's truth so that they might repent, as Paul said. Any others before we move to 21? You don't want me to finish this book, do you? It's a good, good chapter. So verse, oh. Oh, yeah. I am afraid that when I come again, my God may humiliate me before you and I may mourn over those who have sinned in the past and not repented of the impurity, immorality, and sensuality which they have practiced. Now, just for, I love to do this so you know what some of the, the thought has been found through the centuries. There are some who believe that this list is incompatible with the glowing reports that Paul gave in chapter 7. They adduce that it is a different letter. <sighs> Come on, give me a break. Others suppose that this being one letter, there was a great lapse of time between writing 7 and later parts of the letter. Still others, and this is the idea I I like, simply acknowledge that part of the congregation was penitent and part wasn't. And he dealt with both in the same letter. Because it wasn't a letter to an individual, it was a letter to a church. And Paul didn't believe in bologna. Bologna sandwiches. Nice bologna, nice, you know. He gave them everything they needed to become um, more effective for Christ in their own lives. So Paul is deeply concerned about the humiliation he might experience because he wrote an early, as he wrote earlier in this epistle, the Corinthians were his letter, known and read of all men. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2. Paul was not afraid of being humbled by God. He did not want to be humiliated by the Corinthians, by God through the Corinthians. He might have to mourn over the continual dissension and sinfulness of many in this flock. Some of them were still impure, and they had the Holy Spirit, and the tools not to be impure. This word is associated with, the sexual, with sexual sin in the New Testament. Next, next slide. Ah. You see the ah? That means not pure. Catharsia. Catharsis. Cleaning up. Not clean. <laughs> it's, a, it's a word that means... Um, Pure means pure because it's unmixed. Akatharsia means mixed with evil. 
Now, what happens if I give you a glass of water and I have extract of cow dung and I put one drop, okay, a quart of water, a gallon of water, and I put one drop of that extract in it? Are you going to drink it? (laughs) You chickens. (laughs) You smart people. (laughs) It's mixed with, with, you can't mix sin in. You can't mix a little sin in. It contaminates. It leavens the whole lump. And anybody that thinks that they can get away with a little, just a little sin, they're fooling themselves. Paul was deeply concerned about that. He might have to mourn over the continual dissension and sinfulness of many in this flock. Some of them were still impure. This word is associated with sexual sin in the New Testament. Remember, the Corinthians lived in a tremendously immoral part of the Roman Empire. So lest I give myself airs, you know, we live in a pretty normal part of America where there's not a lot of that. I mean, there's stuff, in, all kinds of stuff going on in the background. But in first century Corinth, this was normal. It was normal to go to the temple prostitutes at night. It was normal for them to descend into the city and ply their wares, the whole city. And so if you were serious about remaining pure, I don't know if that, what kind of locks they had, but you should lock your door, bolt it, put the chain on, and stick a chair in front of it so they couldn't get in. That's the idea. They weren't doing that. Some of them weren't doing that. <coughs> it's moral uncleanliness. Some of them were still struggling with the sin of immorality. Next slide. Pornea. That's where we get the word for pornography. Um, This is a word that translates the Greek idea that refers to any sexual act outside of marriage. So there were still some in the church struggling with this. I mean, this is overt. It just ought ought not to be heard of among believers. Um, moving on. Next, next slide. Unless there's questions or comments. You, you know you can always jump in. Just raise your hand. If I, if I, don't, if I see you and I don't want to answer your question, I'll just look away. But, you know. And some were still struggling with sensuality. A. There's that A again. Paul associates this with public sins like carousing, drunkenness, and sexual promiscuity. This was, uh, again, evidence of the the immorality that was going on, especially in that part of of Greece. Peter connected it to lust, drunkenness, and sexual promiscuity. He also used it to describe the homosexual vice of the men in Sodom. Make no mistake, that is the comeback that's happening in this day and age that is part and parcel of what was evil in Corinth. And it's evil everywhere, no matter when, no matter how. But it's no more evil than these other sins here. Impurity. It's just... Some of it has far greater consequences, long-term, short-term. This word means licentiousness, licentiousness, wantonness. Um, <laughs> it, it's conduct, and I don't know if there's any more of this anymore, but it's a, it, the definition is it's conduct that is shocking to public decency. I, I, I sure hope we continue to have some form of genuine public decency, an idea of public decency, so that we're still shocked. But... The day's coming maybe when that won't happen. So closing this out, Paul's overriding concern was that those practicing these things would either repent and, or turn to Christ or turn back. Repent and turn to Christ or turn back. Return to Christ. I have a, an opinion, and this is just my opinion, that most of this was probably unbelievers in the church, that it infiltrated the church. At least I, I really hope it was. But there were probably plenty of believers. I mean, gossip. Anybody never gossiped? Don't, don't, I don't want to embarrass anybody. So 
If there's one of you that hasn't, though, I'd sure like to, you can take me right under your wing. Anybody never lied? Anybody never had an angry outburst? All of this happens. God gives us the grace to, to stop it. Whatever the situation, whatever, whatever the situation is, concern was for their welfare. And he pointedly remarks that they need to repent even of sin they committed in the past. Don't let it, and I'm not talking about commit sins of your ancestors, but when you remember something that you did that you didn't make right, figure if you can find out how to make it right. You know, I remember one time I did that. Uh, I, I had someone come into my store who I had offended in the deep past. I didn't know the offense was that big. But I was moved by God's Spirit to bring it up and apologize. I couldn't believe this person was in my store. They weren't a surplus type of person. It was weird. And they've never been in since. And so I said, you know, you remember this situation that happened, blah, 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 and they started crying. I think they remembered. And I, I said, can you, can you ever forgive me? And they did. They did. Now, I'm not into going and stirring up things, but if, if there's someone that you need to have... You need to make something right with it. You know you did. Paul wanted them to do that. So, closing out, this chapter spans the difficult situation of Paul being required to boast in order to demonstrate to the Corinthians his true apostolic calling, his recognition that God's grace is always sufficient for everything, no matter what comes up in life. His grace is always sufficient for everything, that we must go through, and his willingness to continually love and work with the Corinthians, Paul's willingness to continually love and work with the Corinthians, meant giving of them, whether it meant giving them of, of himself or it meant giving, helping them to find repentance from studying and applying the Word of God. This is the difficult task he had to face, and God gave him the strength to do it. And he ends this chapter, I don't want to come, let me get to the end of the chapter. Just, I want to read the last two verses again. I don't want to find this. I'm afraid that perhaps when I come, I may find you not to be what I wish. What does he wish? Not that they be like him, carbon copies, but that they be genuine, humble followers of Christ. That's all. That's all. Not many Pauls. All of them their own people. All of them their own abilities by God's grace. But that they be genuine followers of Christ and that it be evidenced by not being striving, by not being jealous, by not having wrathful outcome outbursts. No disputes. Slanders are taken care of. Gossip is, is ending. Disputes are not happening. Arrogance has become a sin of the past in this church. And disturbances aren't happening because those things are being taken care of. May it be in the body of Christ so that when they look at us, they really do say, See how they love one another. <laughs> That's what Jesus wanted. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.